Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. And as we make our way back into the summertime, uh, it's hard to say good evening with the sun almost directly overhead at six (laughs) o'clock. So I'm going to start saying good afternoon, I suppose. Uh, Welcome to Today with Dr. Wendy. But nonetheless, my co-host Larry Dersham and I are both here with lively commentary and talking about some of the top stories Um, always challenging and fun to try to narrow it down because remember, we're all about the silver lining. But again, we are going to bring you uh, a headline story about education. Now, we all know education is expensive, but health is priceless. And some schools have conflated the two. They have basically pushed the boundaries on how to promote health-related safety over student instruction. What do I mean by that? Virtual class has become the new detention. Larry, do you remember detention when we were growing up? I don't suppose you ever misbehaved and got detention or sent to the principal's office or anything, did you? Well, I hope the vice principal is not listening or some of my classmates, but yes, Wendy, (laughs) I did. In fact, I got in a fight and uh, I actually got expelled for three days, but we made up afterwards. And so uh, we became friends after that. So it turned out okay. Okay, well, you know what, Larry, if you were in trouble for fist fighting nowadays, you might not find yourself physically in the principal's office. You might find yourself relegated to a Zoom screen at home because nowadays in lieu of a referral or a demerit or whatever they used to do growing up, you may be relegated to distance learning. And that's not fair, say many parents across the nation. It's no way to learn. And some of this has to do with COVID-related violations. But we can't just say no mask, no school, because remember, there are several purposes for being actually in the classroom. And virtual instruction is really no substitute, Um, not to mention the fact that federal law, of course, mandates that we have the reasonable accommodations for children that have learning disabilities. We have to make sure we have a both safe and effective way to learn. Not, and then, of course, there's the socialization process. So, Larry, we are hearing some stories from across the nation that unsafe or even unruly behavior is being a reason to send kids home. I mean, is that a viable solution? I don't think so, especially in light, Wendy, that people have been out of school or kids have been out of school for in some cases, for over a year. And I don't know if you heard this statistic, Wendy, but I just heard it on Fox News this week. I think it was on May 4th, that right now, there's 3.3% of all the kids across America are doing 100% virtual learning. That means at home, 67% are doing in-person every day, and 30% are doing what's called hybrid learning, where they spend a day in school, a day out of school. And if you're out of school... If the teacher's not paying attention, you could be sleeping or doing anything and they wouldn't even know it. So I don't think this is good for the kids. And I, could, I think it could be a form of punishment, too. 
Well, here's the interesting thing about some of these stories is being sent home and being forced to distance learn is being used as punishment, even though we know that federal law requires public schools to provide students with the support they need to succeed in the, here, the language, the most appropriate classroom for them. So let's think outside the box as to what this might mean. It might mean bringing in a counselor or, or working with parents to improve a child's behavior. But here's another concern, Larry, that people are raising is, does this adversely or disproportionately impact marginalized groups? Let's say you do have a student that has some sort of a disability or special needs. Well, are they more likely to misbehave or be sent home and thereby ruin their chances or at least decrease their chances for academic success? I mean, Larry, you and I have seen some of these college applications that the kids are filling out nowadays. It's amazing that anybody ever gets in anywhere. They are so challenging. We always make the joke, it's a, we're glad we went through school when we did because now it's almost impossible. But could you or do you run the risk by forcing children to learn in an unorthodox, unsatisfying and disproportionately underrepresented environment, is that going to make them more likely to have learning difficulties and academic disadvantage down the line? I think 100% it does. I, I think teachers unions have a lot to do with this, Wendy. They always say, follow the science. However, teachers unions, in many cases, I believe are corrupt. And they've swapped real science based on empirical evidence and repeated steps of scientific process for scientific theory and consensus. And then they only accept the consensus of radical leftists who agree with the unions. So I almost think this is being a tool to or an excuse for the teachers not to have to teach as many students. It's horrible for the students psychologically. Socialization is huge part of uh, going to middle school and high school and to Think otherwise, and especially for disadvantaged students, Wendy, that's, it's not fair. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that? And, you know, I always like to, um, to explore the opposite viewpoints. Lots of teachers that I know, and obviously I teach law school at night, and I know you, you probably teach somewhere too, if I remember correctly. Um, I know you've guest talked for me a number of times. But, you know, teachers love teaching kids also. You know, a lot of the allure of the classroom is the interaction. Um, that teachers have with students and they find it very satisfying. That's why they apply for those jobs. So sometimes it's almost counterintuitive that you have unions or, or anybody else arguing, well, we should teach less kids when that's part of the, the enrichment, the mutual enrichment in teaching is that interaction and that level of engagement that just can't be replicated in a virtual environment. And I would add on top of that, all the privacy and some of the other anxiety issues that some students have about using Zoom. I mean, it's so much different. Some kids like to sit in the back of the room. I don't know about you. You're so smart. You were probably right in the front of the room, front of the room raising your hand to every question. But there are some students you might have noticed sat in the back, but they were there. Some of those same students might want to turn their cameras off and be muted, but they can't. They have to sit in front of a camera and they feel awkward. They feel anxious. And it's just not a winning environment some schools have decided to require that the kids keep their cameras on. So there really is a split of opinion and, and in practice as well as to what different educational institutions are doing about that. Yeah, I, I in favor of the kids. I think to be there in person with the teacher and with your fellow classmates is critical. And anything less than that 
is an excuse and it's going in the wrong direction. And I can see how this could be used one day to, to separate the kids that have been vaccinated and not vaccinated. And I don't want to go into that topic today, but there's so many <laughs> bad things that could come from this type of detention, in my opinion. Well, I know you're also talking about uh, living in fear. In, in, in fact, um, why our leaders sometimes seem to espouse that viewpoint as well. Yeah, Wendy. Uh, again, this is kind of a commentary, so I'll exempt the station and you from from this. This is my personal opinion only. And <laughs> the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, that quote came from a speech delivered by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in his inauguration in Washington on March 4th, 1933. There's another great quote. There's another well-known quote that says, the only real prison is fear and the only real freedom is is freedom from fear. And the Bible tells us in at least 365 times, maybe more, to fear not. Yet, what the psych, uh, what's the psychological common denominator being conveyed by our always mass leaders in the mainstream media today? The answer in a word is fear. They want us to live in a constant, unrelenting fear, even if we've been fully vaccinated. We must still wear a mask everywhere, even outdoors, walking in the park, or riding our bicycle, or competing in high-exertion outdoor athletic events. If we don't comply, we're bad and immoral and uncaring, yeah. and we shouldn't be seen in public, some people would say. And we may not be able to fly a plane one day uh, or attend a ball game. And then uh, there's another thing, too. Climate change is one more terrifying thing besides COVID. And... uh how do we know this? Well, the former bartender, Sandy Cortez, has told us so. And, of course, she's uh, Alexandria Cortez, you know, the one, the one in Congress. She says, in fact, she informed us in 2019 that we only have 12 years to live. So that means now we only have 10 years left. Oh, darn. Unless, of course, we spend about $100 trillion, and that's more money than the entire world earns in a year, to uh, go to a Green New Deal, which I don't agree with. So how do we overcome this, Wendy? Well, I think the main thing we have to do if we don't comply with this fear is truth. And instead of all this fear mongering, we have to to expose uh, the lies and the bad science, in my opinion, and speak the truth to our friends, to our neighbors, uh, to the people we go to church with, anybody we can reach through the social media. Also, truth will overrule fear if we can get the word out. And that's why I think it's so important that we each take steps to guard our precious freedom and don't live in fear. We were not designed to live in fear, and I'm not going to let any government, in my opinion, for my life, put me in a state of fear. Okay. Well, wow. I mean, why don't you tell you, our listeners how you really feel about <laughs> that topic, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so as, as we as we uh, will talk, Larry, back in off the sill. <laughs> no, it, you know what? It's it's good that you're passionate about um, what you're passionate about. I know that lots of people have lots of ideas, and it is passion that makes this world run. And that's why a, a diversity of opinions is such a beautiful thing that we enjoy in America. Um, we're going to take a short commercial break, but do not touch that dial. When we return, you are going to meet someone who is one of the most sought after security experts in our country today who's going to give us some critical advice on how we can all keep our ourselves and our families safe 
in these difficult times. Do not go anywhere. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We'll be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. So before the break, I teased up that you are going to now be introduced to someone who you probably know if you watch Fox or CNN or Newsmax, one of the most sought after security experts in our country today, who has a lot of illustrious titles. I've known him for years. I think I first met him on the set at CNN when he and I were giving commentary. And then, of course, saw him over at Fox, where he used to mix it up with Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, and everybody else. So, Larry, who do we have on the line? Yes, Wendy, we're so privileged to have Jonathan T. Gilliam. He's an expert commentator, as you mentioned, on television and radio, and he appears often in the media covering law enforcement, military, and security matters. With over 15 years of experience in military special operations, investigations, intelligence, and force protection, and as a former Navy SEAL officer, federal air marshal, FBI special agent, government <laughs> security contractor, and police officer, he's the go-to How voice. How could all that be true? He's the go-to <laughs> voice for all matters related to military special operations, security, and law enforcement. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. We're so honored to have you on. Thank you. You know, the one thing I don't have in there is a pension, because I didn't stay long enough at any of those places, so, <laughs> you know, I'm still having to work for a living. You know, Jonathan, you are not going to need a pension with a resume like that. You are going to be gainfully employed uh, as long as uh, as long as we can imagine. Um, but in addition to all of that, as if that's not enough, I get tired just listening to that list. What boy? I feel like such an underachiever, don't you, Larry? Listening <laughs> to all the things that Jonathan is. I'm just, I think I'm just going to sign off now on that. But I also know, Jonathan, that you apparently received your BA from the U- University of Arkansas with a BA double major in poli-sci and psychology. So, you know, with yep. that kind of a background, which which explains a lot of the very um, interesting commentary you give nowadays, what led from poli-sci and psychology? How do you leap from there to your illustrious and distinguished law enforcement and security career? Well, first of all, you know, I was majoring in philosophy and religions, and that wasn't really... You know, I, I realized I could learn everything I need to learn about those things without college. So uh, when I just realized that I was, you know, my goal was to be, well, I'll put it to you this way. I sat down and I took a piece of paper. I told this story a lot and I, and I wrote a line on the piece of paper and I put present time and death. And this was back in 1991, I believe. And uh, I, I charted out my whole life at that point. I said, I want to stay in this long in this particular field. I want to do this. I want to get this degree. And, uh, and then, um, and that's what I need to do. And that's what I'm being called to do before I, I die. And, uh, so I set on a quest to do those things. And I picked the two majors in college that I thought would benefit me the most in leadership. And that was uh, psychology Smart. and political science. And, um, and man, I really had 
no clue as to what I was actually in the future would be how I would be using that. But uh, if we look at politics now and and the psyche of the public, it's uh, pretty amazing how psychology is being used constantly in good and bad ways uh, in in the political field. So, but it always really helps in a leadership uh, when you're in government. You need to understand how politics work, and you need to know. Uh, your motivations and other people's motivations, because you can, um, I always say, you know, you can, you can train a monkey to fly in the space, but you have to motivate a human being to want to do it. <laughs> wow. So that's, you know, that's where it helps. Hey, Jonathan, I, I know your uh, one of your expertise uh, areas is a no nonsense analysis of political motivation. So in your opinion, what's behind the Pentagon's cancellation of the parking lot privileges for the annual AMVETS rolling to remember motorcycle rally that's scheduled for May 30th. Do you think that the Biden administration is trying to send a signal to veterans and even to America at large? I I think they're trying to oppress any type of, well, two things. They're wanting to keep people in this box of COVID fear. I, I really truly believe that. And I think COVID has been, politicized i had covid i know people who've died of covid so i know it's real but i i don't think it's as lethal as they uh have made it out to be for everybody i think it's very lethal for a certain group of people and uh what has killed more people than the actual virus itself just alone has been the mismanagement of that virus and i think when you look at the pentagon's motivation and joe biden's motivation they they will do things so that they can make this virus look as though it's still in this progressive state, as though it's still killing massive numbers of people. They want people to be afraid, I believe, because if you and this is a big thing, okay, you really have to look at this. We're, we all know in the, in the law, you have to look at the totality of the circumstances. If you look at you know every other president in modern time, uh, you look at George Bush forty one, Bill Clinton. George Bush 43, Obama, and you look at Joe Biden. Look at the way they use crisis to further their political agendas, right? Trump did not do that. He did not use crisis to forward things. He actually, whether you like him or not, you can look back and see that he was actually looking for effective solutions and not using the crisis. And Republicans and Democrats, the party themselves, they use crisis for the, to further their political power and agendas. I believe that's one of the reasons why uh, they made this decision. And the other reason is because this is a very patriotic group. And uh, where you see patriotic groups, you're going to see conservatives. And I don't think that this uh, Secretary of Defense, and I don't think that Joe Biden will like that. And it goes against uh, everything that they're trying to push through the Department of Defense, which is that, you know, white supremacy is rampant, that domestic terrorism is all over the place. And, it doesn't play with uh, with their uh, political um, vision that they're trying to give everybody that that patriots are bad people. And I truly you know, part, believe if you look at that, you'll see it. Part of that is um, reflected in your book, and I want to I want to read the title and then tell everybody how long it's been on the bestseller list. Oh my gosh, Sheep No More: The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. So I remember when this book debuted at the top of the Amazon bestseller list. But I also understand it has remained there since December 12, 2017. That is astounding. And so it's no wonder you apparently have published two fillable sheep no more workbooks <laughs> mm-hmm. that you created for threat and defense assessments. And I understand you also even have a children's safety and awareness book. And I, I that's music to my ears. We always want to protect the kids. 
Um, and it's called The Adventures of Team Little Bigs, a parent's book for children. What kinds of books are these? I know that you are all about threat assessment and keeping society safe. Is that the theme of these right. workbooks? Yeah, you know, when I first, uh, when I got into, into law enforcement, I started in Arkansas at Camp Robinson uh, Police Department and then uh, moved into the SEAL teams and then air marshals and so on and so forth into the FBI. I realized that there was this massive gap in understanding uh, and knowledge and awareness of the general public to the police department. And then when you look at law enforcement, because compared to special forces, there's a tremendous gap there in how we see things and how they see things. And so the goal in the, in the original book, Sheet No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival, was to give the average person out there, and even law enforcement uh, and basic military people, the understanding of how attackers look at them and the difference between attacks. You know, the, a pedophile works similar to a CIA uh, operations officer who will, will develop relationships in order to get to a very specific part of, let's say, a nuclear facility. That's the way the CIA works. Well, a pedophile will, uh, will groom families. They'll go to churches or uh, school events, and they will groom a family so they can get in and attack a very specific part of that family. Um, when you look at rape or robbery or a violent act, a lot of the times you're looking at what we would call in the SEAL teams a direct action attack, and it's very similar in the way that we plan our attacks. They plan their attacks. You know, they, they, these are not... Uh, attacks typically that are just at the spare of the moment. These are things that where people, attackers have developed the ability to look at vulnerabilities, avenues of approach, the times that are best to attack and the place it's best to attack based on what it is that they want. And, you know, anyone can look at themselves, their life, their business from that perspective. That's why I wrote the book is to give you that perspective so that you can turn around and build better awareness and defenses um, you just can't do that unless you see how the attacker sees you. Uh, so then the workbooks were a natural fit for that. So one is a threat assessment. You also can call it a target package, but basically you're looking at yourself from the attacker's point of view and you create these uh, threat assessments against yourself. And then you take that information and transpose it into the defense assessment workbook. And um, awesome. the, team Little Bigs, the, the Team Little Bigs is basically so that you can teach young kids two to eight or learning disabled kids through pictures and the parents go to teamlittlebigs.com and get the lesson plans. And so you hand the pictures to the child and they can visually learn, you know, not to stand behind a car, not to talk to strangers and so on and so forth. Well, wow. how about that podcast? The experts, is that still going strong and how do we find that? Yeah. It's uh, it's really been doing good and it's um, anywhere podcasts are found, Spotify, iTunes, all these different places. And, uh, you know, I, like this, I bring, you know, a different perspective uh, than just uh, political talking points. I, I try to really educate people and from my point of view. And if it's not me, then I go find an expert to come on and talk about whatever it is we need to talk about. No, I think that's great. And, you know, we're at the end of this show, but I do want to tell everybody that they can catch you all over social media, national media. you got your own radio show as well. Um, so we want to thank you so much for coming on, Jonathan. What a what a pleasure to speak with you. You are just, I, I don't know how you do it all. I, I want to know what your diet and exercise plan are because <laughs> the amount of energy you have is just astronomical. So bottle it and sell it. We'll, we'll promote it on the show. Yes. So thank you like so much sleep. for joining That's what us. It is. <laughs> yeah. You got it. And thank you. 
Thank you to our listeners as well. This has been a wonderful time to spend with you. I hope you've learned a lot and we certainly um, love having you. So we wanna wish you a wonderful, safe weekend. We wanna invite you to please join us next week for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with a silver lining. Have a great week and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego.